0: Good morning, Cornerstone Church. I'm Pastor Bill, and I want to add my welcome to this time of worship wherever you are participating and whenever you are participating. So let's be honest and real. For many of us, this has been one of the hardest seasons of our lives. First of all, congratulations, you're still standing. And that there's something to be said for that. You're still here. Congratulations. Because this has been one of the darkest seasons globally in recent history, and culturally, and in the church. So much has been so uncertain during this season in our lives. And we're not just dealing with the normal everyday kinds of uncertainties, things like, why is he texting me so much? Should I you know, get rid of my dating app? What are my friends doing? Those are the normal uncertainties of life. To those normal ones, we now add really abnormal, extraordinary uncertainties that we are dealing with every day with having to make risk assessments in interaction after interaction after interaction. And so now we have to ask questions. What's going to happen with the Delta variant? Have you heard of the Lambda variant yet? It sounds sort of like stuff out of Loki. We have to ask questions like, what's going to happen in school this fall? What's going to happen with daycare? We have to figure out, am I going to eat indoors at a restaurant? Am I going to go to in-person worship? What kind of name tag am I going to wear? Do I keep social distance? Do I disengage or do I in- engage with the dysfunction in our world and in our culture and in the church? So in the midst of all of the normal uncertainty and the extraordinary uncertainty in our lives right now, I want to share with you something from John chapter 5 that is a great, extraordinary certainty that we can count on no matter what, forever and ever. This certainty that I want to share with you today is, has really guided my spiritual journey for over 50 years. It really has been that significant. This certainty has led me to um, what some are now calling key, a keystone habit. Keystone habits are habits that we put into our daily routine that kind of of seep out and touch other areas of our lives, sometimes unintentionally, in a way that causes this domino effect so that it changes every area of our lives. And the certainty that I want to share with you today has developed within me a keystone habit that has changed every other area of my life. It sounds like an overstatement, but this certainty that I will share with you from John 15 can change everything in your life for 50 years and longer. So in our sermon series on new beginnings from the Gospel of John, we've been focusing on what we receive from Jesus. So from John chapter 1, we receive from Jesus his fullness of grace and mercy for us. In John chapter 2, we saw that we receive from Jesus his transformational power from us, John chapter 3, we saw from Jesus that we receive his unconditional love for us. John chapter 8, when we looked at Jesus as the great I am, we realized that we receive absolute certainty in his authority for us. In John chapter 12, we saw that we receive his abundant life for us. And then in John, I'm sorry, I said John 8 twice. What was your message on last week? Whatever it was that Danny preached on, thank you, John 6 last week. It got out of order, so I messed it up, and I wrote both of them down here as eight. From John 6 last week, we saw that we received from Jesus his power and his peace over all of the turmoil and uncertainty and anxiety in our lives. Today, we're going to go a different direction. We're not going to focus on what we receive from Jesus. We're going to focus on what we offer Jesus in response to what we receive from him. So our scripture text this morning is John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to tack on verse 16. For context here, starting in John 13, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal, which is our communion service. And in, we break into what's called the upper room discourse because Jesus, from, from the upper room, they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to pray, he's going to be betrayed, turned over to the Jewish religious authorities, and turned over to the Romans to be crucified. So the upper room discourse is his last words to his disciples before he will be on the cross. And in John 15, we break it partway into the upper room discourse. And as you'll see on the slides behind me, I've color-coded two themes that show up in these verses so that we can easily see what are the two themes that are, are most prevalent in these words from Jesus. John 15, 1 through 11, and verse 16. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they are thrown away like a branch. just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So you saw from the screen that the Two main themes of these verses are bearing fruit, it's mentioned eight times, and abiding, which is mentioned ten times. So that it's easy for us to remember, I made up a word, the two themes in John 15 that we're going to examine are fruiting and abiding. Fruiting and abiding. And did you catch where Jesus said what he longs for in his disciples? It was in verse 16. Jesus said, I have chosen and appointed you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last. So let's talk first about fruiting in John 15. First time I did a comprehensive kind of biblical study of spiritual fruit, I was actually overwhelmed by the dozens and dozens of times the scriptures talk about spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual fruitlessness. It is actually a pretty massive kind of a biblical study. Just a couple of them. In the scriptures, we come across this recurring image of the fruit or harvest of righteousness. I actually had Isaiah 32.17 posted on my, my bedroom wall all the way through college. Isaiah 32, 17 says, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. And the effectiveness of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. It was right above my desk in my, in my room, all the way through college. I would read it every time I sat down at my desk. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. Then in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about, says that he prays that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. James chapter 3, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest. It's actually the same word, Greek word, as fruit. Raise a harvest, a fruitfulness of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has chosen and appointed us to produce fruit, the fruit of righteousness, from living rightly, that things will come out of our lives because we are intentionally trying to live holy, set-apart lives, that things come out of our lives that bless us and bless those who know us and bless our world. There's also in the scriptures an interesting phrase called the fruit of our lips. And this, when you do the study, you realize that, we, as we all know, our words have power. Our words can bring life or death. They can bring healing or wounding. And we are told that there is a fruit of our lips that God wants to produce good things. He wants our words to matter for good. We've all used our words poorly. And we will be given, we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has chosen and appointed us that we would produce good things from the fruit of our lips. There's also, of course, in the scriptures, the fruit of the Spirit. Most famously talked about in Galatians chapter five. Jesus has chosen and appointed us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's so much more in the scriptures about spiritual fruitfulness. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, sow for yourself righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love. And then Psalm 1 gives us that picture of the godly person who is like a tree planted by streams of water that produces fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. So, Bottom line, spiritual fruit consists of all of the good things that God draws out of our lives that give us joy, that that enable us to live purposeful, significant lives, and that contributes to the well-being of the world. That's what spiritual fruit consists of. Spiritual fruit comes out of our lives so that we bless the world so that we don't suck life out of the world, so we don't contribute to the pain in the world, but that we bless the world and give the world the care and concern and peace of God. So what does Jesus say about fruiting? He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes, so it will bear more fruit. He says, we can't bear fruit by ourselves. Spiritual fruit only comes when we abide in the vine. He says that whoever abides in him will bear not just fruit, but much fruit. And he makes that that statement, apart from him, we can do nothing. He says God is glorified when we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. And verse 16 again, he chose and appointed us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. A couple things to note in these verses. Fruitlessness is a serious problem. Fruitlessness in our lives can lead to us being cut off and losing the blessings of God. Fruitlessness is a serious thing. Second, pruning is to be expected. Where we are producing fruit, God the master gardener comes and he prunes so that we will produce even more fruit. And we know from Hebrews 12 that God's discipline doesn't feel good at the time. But Hebrews 12 says that it gives us a harvest of righteousness. So expect God's pruning as a normal part of your life. Number three, we notice that disconnected from Jesus, we can't produce anything that will last. That is good. Disconnected from Jesus, we can do nothing. And then lastly, there's a progression of the fruitfulness in the verses. If you go back and read them, we find that we are called, chosen, and appointed To produce fruit, to produce more fruit, to produce much fruit, to produce fruit that will last. And when we are are connected to Jesus, we join that production of fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will last. Okay, that's fruiting in John 15. Let's look at abiding in John 15. And folks, um, abiding is not complicated at all at all. Abiding is simple. And I'll show you. So if you have ever fallen in love, raise your hand. And I hope that's not awkward for somebody you're sitting next to. Okay, some of you are sitting next to people and you should have raised your hands. All right, keep your hands up. If you've ever fallen in love, keep your hands up. And then raise your hand as well if you've ever been anxious about something for at least a whole day. So raise your hand if you've ever been anxious. Some of you should have two hands up. I should see way more hands. All right, keep your hands up. If you've got your hands up, I promise you, you already know how to abide. All right, put your hands down. When we fall in love, what do we do? We go through whatever's going on in our normal daily events, always thinking about that person that we love in the back of our mind, right? When we are anxious, what do we do? We go through the daily events through whatever's going on in the day. And in the back of our mind is that thing that is causing us anxiety that we just kind of keep as we're going through our day. That's abiding. If you've ever fallen in love, if you've ever been anxious, you know how to abide. So millennials, you guys know that the studies come out saying that you're the most anxious generation that we've ever known. And evidently, Gen Zs, you're kind of following the trend line. You know what that means? If you are one of the most anxious generations the world's ever known, you already know how to become one of the most abiding generations the world has ever known. What might your generation, Gen Z, what might your generation become and and give to the world if Christians will take their abilities for romance and their abilities for anxiety and learn how to abide in Jesus instead. So abiding, it's simply moment by moment throughout our days, being attentive to the presence of Jesus as he is with us. Because there's no question, Jesus is always with us. The only issue is, are we attentive to his presence with us? Abiding is to stay in this kind of inner dialogue and sensitivity to Jesus. So a conversation comes up at work. And we ask Jesus, what would you speak into this conversation? Jesus, what would you do in this situation? How do I speak? Something happens. How do I speak in this situation with the truth and grace of Jesus? Whether it's at school or at work or with our significant other or with our parents or with our friends, Jesus, what would you say? What would you have me say? How, Jesus, can I walk in your steps in this situation? That's abiding. So listen to what the text says about abiding. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they are thrown away. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. In verse 16 again, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, fruit that will abide. Abiding is, for me, hands down, the most significant spiritual exercise that I have ever woven into my life. Abiding is the foundation of almost every other spiritual exercise that I've ever done for 50 years. Abiding is the keystone habit that has changed every other part of my life. So. How do fruiting and abiding connect in John 15? It is profoundly simple. And this is the great extraordinary certainty that I think Jesus wants for us in this time of great uncertainty. Abiding always leads to fruiting. Where there is abiding, there will be good fruit. Where we remain in Jesus, in that dialogue, there will always be fruit. Where there is spiritual fruit, it means that there has been abiding. If you're not abiding, you will not have spiritual fruit, because where there is no spiritual fruit, there is no abiding. Abiding in Jesus always produces good things for you, for the people in your life, and through you for the world as we take the love and grace of Jesus to others. And it's not just a correlation. Abiding causes fruiting, which means that one of the most significant keystone habits you can develop for the rest of your life are habits of abiding. Would you do something every day this week additional to abide in Jesus? Baby steps are fine, okay? If you only think of Jesus three times a week, I'd like you to think of Jesus four times a week. If you you don't wake up in the morning, if the first thing you do is not to pray and dedicate your day to Jesus, then just do that. Just do add one thing each day this week for you to abide with Christ, because there are hundreds and hundreds of ways to do it. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about abiding. We'll find other ways, practical ways to abide, and we'll do a simple spiritual exercise together that trains us to abide. But realizing that abiding in Jesus always leads to good things, would you please add one thing every day this week? to express your remaining in Jesus, his word remaining in you, your abiding in his love, your awareness of his presence in all of the uncertainties that are going on around us. This great certainty is that God will produce good things in us if we will remain in Jesus. So next week, we will continue this theme. We'll do a spiritual exercise together. But today I want to close our time. Abiding with Jesus in communion. Jesus invites us to the table of communion to be with him, to abide with him, to remain with him. He invites us to the table of communion just like he invited his first disciples to the very first communion. And just as Jesus had many things he wanted to say to his first disciples in the upper room discourse, I'm convinced that Jesus has many things that he wants to say to us who are participating in this time of worship. I'm convinced Jesus has something he wants to say to you. Because we have the promise that if we draw near to Jesus, he will draw near to us. So I'd like to use this time of communion As a time to abide with Jesus, to quiet our hearts, to confess anything that we need to confess to him, to be still before him, and to listen for his voice, and then to respond to his voice. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he broke it and said, this is my body for you. And then after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you two minutes to just be with Jesus, to try to quiet whatever the noise is in your head and just be with Jesus. Then after the two minutes, I will instruct you to... Take whatever your elements are for communion and we will open them and participate. But let's now abide in Jesus. Don't worry about the time. I'll keep track of it for you. Lord Jesus, in this moment of stillness, help us to remain in you, to hear from you and to respond to you. Lord Jesus, thank you that moments like this, they're not extraordinary. You invite them to be ordinary in our lives. Moments where we become still and become aware of you. help every one of us to add moments of abiding with you to every day of our lives, more and more every moment of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and willingly gave your life for us so that we would know the kind of fullness of life and fullness of joy that you created us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.